Does it ever feel to you like sometimes time seems to go really slow? It goes really slow. Maybe when I'm preaching, you might be thinking that, so don't tell me that afterwards. So, um, and sometimes it can seem to go really, really fast, right? Nothing like raising kids to make you understand the saying that the days are long, but the years are short. And so for the sake of just having a little bit of fun this morning, and also to let you know that I'm a real person and have a real life and real family, I'm going to show you the passage of time and what that kind of means to me in the life of my family. So I've got four kids, and uh, I uh, reached out. Now here's one little thing about pastor's kids. Up until they're about nine or ten, you can use them for examples and sermons. And then at about that age, they kind of get the fact that you're doing that. And so they go, Dad, stop talking about me in the message. So then you've got to ask for permission. Well, now a couple of my kids are adults, and so I texted them this week, and I said, hey, here's what I'd like to do, and so could you send me a selfie? So I'm going to show you a picture of my kids when they were babies and when they were little that I chose, and then you can see who they are now with their selfie. So my first one is my oldest, Zach. Yep, that's, that's me with a mustache even, and, so, um, and no gray hair. And so that's Zach. He's 26 now. Uh, this is Zach now. Um, Zach is married, and there he is with his cat, Tychus. He lives with his wife, Julia, in Bloomington, and he has more hair on his face than I have on my head, okay? So that's my oldest. And you can kind of see by these pictures, like, who's the responsible one in the family, too? So here's the next one. This is my daughter. I have one daughter. That's Bryza, and this is Bryza now. Yeah, probably a little bit more <laughs> of the responsible one. Now, she usually has her hair back in a... In a in a braid, though, because she lives on 40 acres and has goats and chickens and horses and cats and dogs and guinea pigs, and then this one lizard that I can't remember what you call it. But they're, they're big animal people, and they live out in the country down on Moose Lake. But that's my daughter, Bryza. This is my son, Jesse. Some of you know Jesse. He was, uh, he's in college right now, but he's home for the summers, and he did an internship with us. He's a youth ministry major, so when I texted him and asked for a selfie, this is what I got. <laughs> And he says, well, that do? <laughs> and I'm like, all right, whatever. And then my youngest is Josh. And there's Josh when he was a baby. And now Josh is 13, and he's usually running around here. He's not here today. But that's my family, and that shows the passage of time, right? Man, but here's one of the things that often parents will do. We'll say things like, oh, I wish they were still little babies. You know what? Actually, I don't. I don't wish they were still little babies. Um, I miss some of that, and it was fun back in those days at moments. Um, my oldest, Zach, didn't sleep for a whole year. So his first year, he didn't sleep through the night. Uh, we were exhausted. It was a hard, hard year. Um, God got us through all of that. And time goes on, and you don't want them to stay babies, right? You want them to grow. You want them to reach the potential that God has for them. You want them to do the things that God has put in there for them to do and created them to do. Those are just some fun pictures to kind of remind us, though, of what Ecclesiastes is talking about. And that is that time seems to go fast sometimes. And at other times when we're struggling, it seems to go really slow. There are times when I was parenting that it seemed like it was going to go on forever. And then there are times now that I look back and I go, man, I wish I could go to another ballet recital. I wish I could go to another high school basketball game. I wish I could go to another high school baseball game. But time moves on and time goes and what do we do with all of that well the book of ecclesiastes is a book of wisdom that wrestles with the me the meaning of life in a complex world that's what i love about proverbs and ecclesiastes because they wrestle with these questions about what does it what does it mean to live in a complex world not not just a, a fuzzy world that we think everything is going to go great and everything's going to go perfect they're talking about the real world 
a world that sometimes feels temporary and fleeting, a world that sometimes feels like a paradox. The book as a whole wrestles with all the ways we try to find meaning and purpose apart from God. And he uses a word at the very beginning of the book that gets translated as meaningless. So if you were to read the first chapter, it would talk about meaningless. But the word really means vapor. And he's saying, vapor, vapor, life is like a vapor. It's like a puff of smoke. Everything he says feels like it. you just have it there and it just flies off like a puff of smoke. It's here in a moment, and in the blink of an eye, it's gone. And what we're going to look at in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is the place where we wrestle with how do we live in the world, in the real world, in real time, even when we have real questions and real experiences that we struggle with. So I don't ever want to be that place that we just ignore the reality of the world. We have real questions, real struggles, real issues that we deal with, and sometimes all of that hard stuff leaves us feeling like things are meaningless and just a vapor. Like it's just, I'm working hard, and then this bad thing happens, and it just feels like, and it leaves us feeling like everything's meaningless. And we experience joy and sorrow, and we experience wrestling with meaning and purpose, and we're like, what does it all mean? Does it have any sense to it all. And I'm hoping today that as we go through this passage, you will see the sense of it all and then be able to see where the real meaning and purpose comes from. So we're going to break this passage down into these four sections. Verses 1 through 8, we're going to simply look at the passage of time, that time has seasons for all the things that happen in life. Then verses 9 through 11, we're going to look at the problem of time, what happens in that time that causes struggle and problem. And then we're going to look at verses 12 through 13, and we'll look at the treasure of time. And then we're going to maybe help you see that the book of Ecclesiastes deals with time under the sun. But what it really is pointing us towards and should be pointing us towards, what it really is about is what the soul longs for, and that's eternal time. The eternal nature of time, time under heaven. Ecclesiastes focuses a lot about time under the sun. I want to see how we can connect this to Jesus, where we see that we have a different understanding of time. We're living time under heaven with an eternal perspective. A perspective that is bigger than just what I'm dealing with at this exact moment. But it's a perspective that doesn't ignore what I'm experiencing either. So I really want you to grab onto that. I don't ever want to ignore what I experience in the here and now, but I also want us to help us to see that there's something way bigger, something more exciting for us to be focused on that is bigger than what I'm dealing with right here and right now. That there is something under heaven. There is an eternal perspective, and that's what God wants us to have. So let's break this down. Let's go through the first part, the passage of time, verses 1 through 8. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And he's just trying to say there's a, there's a time for all of this and all of these things are going to happen in life. And he gives us the two spectrums. He says there's a time to be born. And you saw those baby pictures up there. And then there's a time to die. Everybody is moving towards that space. And I know a lot of you are in college right now and you don't like to think in that terms. But guess what? We're all moving one day closer to the end of our time. Whether it be Jesus coming back or this fact that I'm going to die someday, but we're all moving one day closer to that. And he's saying, 
Boy, it feels like a paradox. There's a time to be born, and we're rejoicing at that. Man, when my babies were born, it was really exciting. We had complications with all of them. And so the fact that they got here safely, man, that was just, I just wanted to celebrate that each time they got here safely. And then I've experienced the other side, not with my children, but with other family members, that there's this time when death occurs. And then he says there's a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted. I grew up in southern Minnesota in, in farm country. Anybody else grew up in farm country? If you grew up in farm country, what happens when it's time to plant? Man, everybody's excited. They're getting all their stuff ready, and they get out there in the spring, and they plant. And then they wait. And they wait because there's a time to pluck what is planted. And now, now's that time. And in the northern hemisphere, they're getting ready to get out there and harvest everything. And he's saying there's a time for both of those things. There's a time to be excited about planting, a time to harvest things. He says, there's a time to kill and a time to heal, and we struggle with that, and I won't go too deeply into that, but it sounds like there might be some times when we are trying to protect somebody or help somebody. I don't know how, what he means by all this, but he's saying there's a time to do both those things, and there's a, a time to heal up. There's a time to break down and a time to build up. I couldn't help but think of Lego Master when I was thinking of this. Some of you may have seen that show. My 14-year-old, 13-year-old loves it. They build these massive Lego things, and then they smash them. And so there's a time to build it up, and it looks really cool, and there's a time to tear, tear it down. I grew up in a home that a family had lived there for 50 years before we moved in. And then my family lived there for 50 years. So 100 years and two families enjoyed this space and, and it, it was part of their lives. Well, after a 100-year-old house, the new people that bought it after my mom and dad had to move away, they tore it down. There's a time to build that house up and a new family back in the early 1900s was excited to have that house. In the 1960s when my family moved in, it was excited to have that house. There was a time to build it up and then there was a time to tear it down. Hard. If you've ever experienced that, it's a weird thing to think, wow, I built something and now I've got to tear it apart and get rid of it. He says there's a time to weep and a time to laugh. There's those times when we are just going to weep over things, and he says that's natural and that's part of being under the sun. But then there's times that we laugh hard and, man, we get that swing of emotion in our lives. You know, he says there's a time to mourn and a time to dance, and I couldn't help but think of, and I know I share often about my mom and and her passing a few years ago, but when I read this, this verse, I couldn't help but think about three years ago when my mom passed away in August, and it was a, a time to mourn, and we rejoiced in her life, but it was hard for us as a family. I come from a family of eight kids. It was hard. It wasn't expected. She was older. She was 86, but it still wasn't expected. Seven weeks later, my oldest, the one with the cat and the beard there, um, got married, and so we go from the morning of the funeral to this beautiful time, as, and the whole family was there again. And that night, we spent some time going, man, we're so, so glad that we had this. We're so glad that we had something to dance over and to celebrate. I wasn't dancing because I don't dance well, but uh, my rest of my family was dancing. You know the best dancer in our family? He's not here, so I can say it. Josh. Josh is a really good dancer. <laughs> and so anyway, we spent that night going, you know why it was helpful to us. You know why we were rejoicing in the time to dance? Because after that loss, we were thinking, hey, there's still going to be weddings, and there's still going to be children being born, and there's still going to be all kinds of things for us to celebrate. And that night when we celebrated, we were, think we were sat there and said, man, this is great, that to know that in the midst of things that we have to mourn about, there will be times of dancing as well. There will be new times of joy and excitement. 
Then he says there's a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. And if you're, again, growing up in farm country, we would go out and pick the rocks out of the fields, and you would pick them up to get them out of the way. But back in the old days, they would actually make fences out of those rocks, and they would pile them up and make fences to keep animals in. So it was a time to cast them away and a time to gather them up and do something good with them. That's all he's saying in this whole thing, is showing us the back and forth, the swing. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. I struggle with that. I'm the keeper of all the old stuff in my family. And my wife will be sometimes, do we really have to keep that? And I'm like, so we have this little discussion. I'll, I'll put it like that. We could call it a disagreement about my great-great-grandfather and the picture of his family that's 110 years old. And she says, why can't we just take a picture of it and get rid of that thing? And I'm like, because it's 110 years old. You can't just get rid of something like that. And she's like, yeah, it's 110 years old. That's why it should be gone, <laughs> right? And so we have those kinds of differences in how we see things. But he's saying there's a time to keep stuff and remember, and there's a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. That's a big one for us as we walk through life. When is the time to, to hold our tongue and to be patient? When is the time to speak? He says there's a time to love and a time to hate and a time for war, and a time for peace. And what he's showing is the passage of time and the swinging of time and the things that happen on the pendulum of time, things to rejoice over, things to weep over, things to strive over, things to give up. You can fill in the blanks. You, you heard the passage. You can see what it's trying to get across. That what is going on is Solomon, the richest, wisest, most secure man in the world at the time, with all of his possessions and everything that he had had, was sitting there going, I have seen the pendulum of all these things, and it feels kind of meaningless to me. It feels like it's a vapor, because some of it just goes poof. He actually has a, another proverb where he talks about, you know, what happens if you leave all of this to a fool? And he goes and just wastes everything that you have. Solomon was looking and thinking, man, what happens when my life is done? Well, you know what happened to Solomon after his life was done? His son divided the kingdom. The very next person in line made bad decisions, and Israel got divided. So he was right as he was saying, I don't know about doing all of this work and trying to accomplish all this stuff, and it feels just like it could be a vapor. Because when my life is over, somebody else might take over and make it a mess, and that's what happened. Now, this could sound kind of depressing, <laughs> right? But there's good news in it, and we're going to unpack that here a little bit. So the passage of time, verses 1 through 8, then he talks about the problem of time. The eternal God entering into time, which sounds like a good thing, but what has happened is God comes into time, and he puts a desire in our heart, and that desire is to have something more than just what this world has for us. This is what he says in verse 9 through 11. What gain has the worker for his toil? I have seen the business that God has given the children of man to be busy with. So he says, God has come into time. He's given man something to do. And Solomon's saying, I've seen it. The teacher is saying, I've seen what God has given the children of man to be busy with. He's made everything beautiful in its time. That there's some really beautiful things that we're going to experience and, and encounter. He also has put eternity in man's heart, 
which sounds like a great thing, right? There's a desire, a natural desire in our hearts that God has created us with for something that is more. C.S. Lewis puts it, I'm paraphrasing here, but he puts it like this, like, if there is something that I'm desiring that's more than what I'm seeing here in this life, it must mean that I was made for something more and that there's something more out there. And he was talking about God. And so it says he put eternity in man's heart, which sounds good, but then he says, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. He's put this desire and longing in our hearts, and yet he didn't tell us all the mysteries that we want to know. And so God has placed longings in our heart for something more. There's a desire to know and experience and be connected with something bigger and beyond ourselves. We want an eternity. And we see it all around us in, in, in things that happen around us. We see it in movies. We see it in books, even video games and music and things like space ex exploration and technology, all just to name a few. They are things that we desire because we want to know something bigger than us. And so we have a movie, The, the Great Mystery, something that's unknown, and that's what attracts us to it, a book that's like that songs that make us get that transcend what we what we see in front of us why do we want to explore the galaxy because we think there's something bigger out there right to boldly go where no man has gone before that's jesse and i we watch that all the time and so we that we have that in our heart god's put it there the problem is we usually look to the wrong places to fill it so we have this desire for something bigger, and we look at all the wrong places to try to fill it. There's a God-shaped hole in us, and we try to fill it with everything but God. And what the teacher is saying in Ecclesiastes is that God has put it there. God has entered into time and put that hole in us, and then we're looking to fill it in every other way other than him. And that's been happening since the beginning of creation. Adam and Eve, can you imagine standing there, talking to God, personal relationship, seeing him, and yet they still wanted to be independent and do their own thing, and so they sin, and sin enters into the world, and from that time on, creation has been desiring something to fill that hole, and we look for everything and look to fill it from everything except for God. So what seems like kind of a... Kind of a um, like an innocent couple of verses really is a profound section where he says, I, I've seen the toil that God gave us to do and we just kind of work on and on and there's a hole in us and we want to fill it with something eternal and yet we can't find all of it because God hasn't revealed everything that we want to know yet. And this is where this is pointing us to Jesus because there's one who's going to come that's going to fill that void. But before we get to that, we're going to finish the last couple of verses, which is the treasure of time. So he's saying, okay, here's the passage of it. Here's the problem. We have this desire, and, and we have this hole that we want to fill. But now we also get the treasure. We get the opportunity to have some time on this earth. We get the opportunity to try to understand and try to connect with God. And so this is what he says in verses 12 through 13. I perceive that there is nothing better for them to do nothing better for them to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. He says, I perceive that, that this is the right path. This is one of the ways you fill that gap is to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. 
This is God's gift to man. What I've come to understand, he, he says, is this, that we are to be joyful and look and find the joy that is in this world. He's saying one of the gifts that God has given us is the opportunity to experience joy. And we should be looking for it when God makes that available to us. That night when my son got married, it was a joyful night. It was real. I can't even put into words the, how beautiful of a night it was after what we had just been through. It was a joyful time. And he's saying, we, I could have sat there and said, man, this is really hard because mom's not here. Instead, we said, we're going to experience the joy of this. And everybody did that together. And so he's saying, we're to look for that joy and find the joy that's in the world and to do good and try to impact the world and how we live in it and how we treat one another. He says, this is part of the gift that you get is to enjoy the things that are joyful and to try to impact people and to make a difference in the world. He's saying we should enjoy the good gifts that God has given us. And when we have those, we, we should be thankful to him. Now the question is, what do we do with all that? And how does this happen in our lives? How does this connect us to Christ? Because on our own, and this is where the author of Ecclesiastes was struggling, on his own it felt hopeless. He felt like he wasn't experiencing all of these things that he's talking about. There was this big gap and hole in him, and he was trying to figure out how to fill it. And it wasn't until later that Christ will come, and now that we have an understanding of who Christ is, and he fills us with his spirit. But what do we do with all this before we connect it to Christ? Here's just some really practical. These are some practical things, and if you've lost me, come on back, because I think these will help you as you just move forward in your journey. First is to live in the present. What he's talking about with this passage of time is to live in the present. Instead of always looking for the next thing, I kind of run into this. My brain is always going, so I'm always thinking, what do I got to get done tomorrow? What do I got to get done on Tuesday? Sometimes I miss right here, right now. And so part of this living in time, the way God wants us to, is to live in the present. Experience the joy and the happiness and the sweetness of the moment. This week is anniversary week in my house. My, my daughter's anniversary, four-year anniversary was last uh, on the 22nd. My son's three-year anniversary is on the 29th. This is a moment to stop and celebrate and just enjoy that and experience the joy and the happiness and the sweetness of the memories of those two weddings. So on the one hand, we're supposed to live in the present by experiencing richly the joyful things that God has given us. But there's a second category, and this is the category that's often hard for us, and this is the mundane category. If I'm living in the present and trying to live this way that, that Ecclesiastes is talking about, then I also have to live in the mundane parts of life. So experiencing the joy deeply and richly in the mundane part is pushing through and gritting our teeth and grinding it out in those moments that seem neutral or mundane or boring or I don't like them. Sometimes things are boring. Sometimes they are monotonous and hard. Changing diapers, if you have young ones, that's hard. You know, my, I came from eight kids. My mom told me one day that she changed diapers for 22 years. I said, Mom, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry that we put you through that. Monotonous and hard, 22 years of changing diapers. What did she do? Say, I don't want to do that anymore. You kids go find somebody else to change your diapers, right? She just worked through it, gritted her teeth, grinding it out. 
And when we get those hard moments, when we get those parts that we feel like are monotonous and boring and mundane and we have to grind out and they're hard, we go right back to Ecclesiastes and we say life is a vapor. Why do it? <laughs> Why do this hard thing? There's no point in doing this. But there are seasons where we grind it out. There are seasons where we marriage is hard and we grit our teeth and we push through. There are times when school is hard and you want to do something else and you're not sure why you're doing it why God brought you to this college or that college this program or that program I mean you fill in the blank but the point is that in the present there are times when life is hard and mundane and we just have to work through it and push through it and God will be there to help us but we're supposed to enjoy the great experiences of life we're supposed to push through the hard things. And then we got the times where we're supposed to experience the depth and the reality of the pain that is going on in the world around us and that we're experiencing. I'm not saying that we just close our eyes to the hard things that we go through. We're supposed to experience, the other side of this is experiencing the depth, the reality of it, feeling the pain deeply. Emma and I just this last week had a, a mutual friend that passed away, 42 years old. We were just, we're like, we don't understand. She has a little son. I don't know, do you know how old Sam is? Maybe, how old? Five. He's five years old. Kind of unexpected. It's been kind of a, when I found out, I've just been sad. And I'm glad that she's in heaven, and I know that. But you know what? I'm also okay with just feeling sad. Because she was 42, and she was really a, a great person. Um, over the last few years, I've only had interactions with her on social media, but she would often, often respond to my social media posts and say something funny or just, like, I got the feeling she was rolling her eyes at me often. <laughs> but it's just sad. When we experience the pains and the difficulties in life, in the present, we're supposed to experience those. Not run away from them, not try to change them. All of this is living in the present with God's help, we experience the great joys of life, and we're supposed to experience them richly. The mundane, hard things, we're supposed to be able to push through those. The great experiences of pain and suffering, we're not supposed to try to medicate those. We're supposed to experience them. I used to tell the guys in the recovery center that I worked at, I said, pain is something you have to go through. You can't go around. And when guys were using drugs and alcohol to go around the pain in their life, instead of using Christ to go through the pain in their life, so part of how do we live in time in the real world is to experience the joy, push through the mundane and the hard, and experience the, the pain and the struggle as real as they are, not trying to medicate them, not trying to push them aside, but experiencing them. The second part of this is in the midst of all that, we can't just go, well, life is a vapor, so eat, drink, and be merry. I'm going to experience the joy. I'm going to push through the hard. I'm going to experience the pain. But he also says, plan for the future. Plan for the future. There are things to come. There are things under the sun, the seasons that are to come. I, I might, I don't know, they got so many animals, it might never happen, but I might be a grandparent someday, <laughs> you know? And I think about that, and first, it's really weird for me to think about that. I'm like, Wow, I don't see myself like that, but then I look in the mirror and I could be that, but it's just really hard for me to comprehend that. But that's something possibly in the future. There are things coming in the future that are going to be hard. 
there are things coming in the future that will be mundane, and there will be things coming in the future that have great joy and excitement to them. So life under the sun, we're to plan for the seasons that are to come. Hi, Lily. <laughs> and so if you're a student, you should plan on what major you're supposed to have. We, we will still have jobs in front of us. There will still be marriages and family and retirement, and all the seasons are still to come as well. So I'm supposed to plan for the future. It matters because there are seasons in front of us yet. But then ultimately, I'm supposed to live in the present, plan for the future, but look ultimately forward to eternity. All of this should be done with an eye on eternity. There's more than just this, and that's what the teacher was trying to get at. He says it feels hopeless because it feels like a vapor, but there's got to be something more. And guess what? There is something more. And how does this point us to Jesus? Because there's more in Jesus. And this is what Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes drives us towards. And this is what Jesus says. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He says, I came that you and I might have abundant life. Jesus you see, Jesus came to glorify the Father, but he came to the earth to show us the way of salvation and to give us abundant life. So in the midst of living under the sun, he's offering us something that's abundant, not thinking, oh, life is a vapor. Life is a puff of smoke. He's saying, hey, life has rich and important meaning, and I'm going to come and give you abundant life. And I'm going to glorify my Father by changing your life. I'm going to show you the way of salvation so that you can have an eternal perspective and eternal life. And Jesus says, there's one who comes to kill and destroy and to steal, but I'm coming to give you real life. I'm coming to fill that hole that Ecclesiastes 3 is looking at. Because guess what? I have seen the business that God has given the children of man to be busy with. He's made everything beautiful in his time, but he's also put eternity in man's heart yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Guess what? I do know what he's done. <laughs> now that question, that passage has changed because now I do know it. And it was Jesus. Jesus came to show us eternity. He came to show us what was happening in the past and for us to understand it and now showing us what he wants to be doing in the future, showing us what he can do in our lives right now. There's one who has come and has given us abundant life. Jesus offers us abundant life, and he does so by freeing us from the power and the penalty of sin. But he also offers us abundant life by filling us with his spirit, the Holy Spirit. Picture that, those two things. He's offering you abundant life by freeing you from the power of sin and also from the penalty of sin. And he's offering you abundant life by filling you with his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is living in you I want you to hear the good news today. It is Christ who offers us the freedom and the power to navigate the paradox and the complexity of life in real time. Let me say that again. Christ offers us the freedom and the power to navigate the paradox and the complexity of life in time. So that while I'm walking in this and swinging in the pendulums of what life brings... I have Jesus giving me the freedom and the power to navigate that through his spirit. Jesus gives hope. There's something greater that we were made for, and we're to enjoy his good world. 
be a part of redeeming its decaying side, all while living with an eternal perspective. Would you hear that again? He wants us to enjoy his good world, be a part of redeeming its decaying side, all while living with eternal perspective in mind, knowing that we'll spend eternity with him someday. You see, there's a time for all seasons of this life. And the riddle is this. There is an appropriate God-appointed time for everything that humans can do and experience. The answer to all of that, there is an appropriate God-appointed time for everything that humans can do and experience. The good news today, the thing that I want you to take home with you today is that we can praise God that Jesus lives within us and he walks with us through all those appointed times. See, that's, that's the point of it today. That you and I, the simple application is simply to praise God that Jesus lives with us, he walks with us, he lives in us, and he will walk with us through all those appointed times. I don't have to do it by myself. I can, I can experience the loss of my mom, not by myself. I can experience the great joys of my son being married, but it was the Spirit that helped me experience that great joy. When the things are hard and rough and you're just kind of working your way through the mundane of life, Christ walks with us through all of that. It's my hope today that you will go away praising God, that Jesus will live within us, that Jesus will walk with, with us through all the appointed times that you're going to experience in life. There are appointed times for you. You're living in it right now. And Jesus will be with you through all of it. And if you don't know Jesus today, I pray and invite you to put your faith in Christ. There is a God-shaped hole in you that Christ wants to fill. And it, it is a hole that makes you look at life and say it's a vapor, whether you realize it or not. And what, one of the things you will do is you will try to fill that with all kinds of other stuff, and none of it will work. And Jesus says, because it all is a vapor, that's why it won't work. What works is me, who's eternal. Because I'm eternal, I will come in and live with you, in, inside of you. And I will give you an eternal perspective. And you'll be able to navigate all that comes along. That's the good news. Ecclesiastes can be a little bit of a downer book, it feels like. But when you understand that it's pointing us to Jesus, when you understand that it's reminding us that there's a hole there, and when you hear the good news that Jesus said, I came to fill that hole and give you abundant life and give you eternal life, then it becomes really good news, doesn't it?